Section 1 of the Achilleid. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Achilleid by Statius. Translated by J. H. Mosley. Book 1. Part 1. Tell, O goddess, of great-hearted Iacides, and of the progeny that the thunderer feared and forbade to inherit his father's heaven. Highly renowned are the warrior's deeds in Meonian song, but more remains untold. Suffer me, for such is my desire, to recount the whole story of the hero, to summon him forth from his hiding place in Cyrus with the Delician trumpet, and not to stop short at the dragging of Hector, but to lead the youth through the whole tale of Troy. Only do thou, O Phoebus, if with a worthy draught I drain the former fount, vouchsafe new springs, and weave my hair with propitious chaplets. For not as a newcomer do I seek entrance to the Aonian grove, nor are these the first fillets that magnify my brow. The fields of Dersi know it, and Thebes counts my name among her forefathers of old time and with her own Amphion. But thou, whom far before all others the pride of Italy and Greece regards with reverent awe, for whom the laurel strain of poet and warrior chief flourish in mutual rivalry, already one of them grieves to be surpassed. Grant pardon, and allow me anxiously to toil in this dust a while. Thine is the theme whereat with long nor yet confident preparation I am laboring, and great Achilles plays the prelude unto thee. The Dardan shepherd had set sail from the Ebalian shore, having wrought sweet havoc in thoughtless amicly, and fulfilling the presage of his mother's dream, was retracing his guilty way where Heli deep sunk below the sea. And now a near aid holds sway over the detested waves. When Thetis, ha, ah, never vain are a parent's auguries, started with terror beneath the glassy flood at the Idean oars. Without delay she sprang forth from her watery bower, accompanied by her train of sisters. The narrowing shores of Phrixus swam, and the straitened sea had not room for its mistresses. As soon as she had shaken the brine from off her and entered the air of heaven, There's danger to me, said she, in yonder fleet, in threat of deadly harm. I recognize the truth of Proteus' warnings. Lo! Bologna brings from the vessel amid uplifted torches a new daughter-in-law to Priam. Already I see the Ionian and Aegean seas pressed by a thousand keels. Nor does it suffice that all the country of the Grecians conspire with the proud sons of Atreus. Soon will my Achilles be sought for by land and sea, eh, and himself will wish to follow them. Why, indeed, did I suffer Pelion and the stern master's cave to cradle his infant years? There, if I mistake not, he plays the rogue at the battle of the Lapiths, and already takes his measure with his father's spear. O oh, sorrow! O oh, fears that came too late to a mother's heart! Could I not, unhappy that I am, when first the timber of Retium was launched upon my flood, have raised a mighty sea? and pursued with a tempest on the deep the adulterous robber's sails, and led on 
all my sisters against him? Even now. But tis too late. The outrage hath been wrought in full. Yet will I go, and clinging to the gods of ocean and the right hand of second Jove, not else remains, entreat him in piteous supplication by the ears of Tethys and his aged sire for one single storm. She spoke, and opportunely beheld the mighty monarch. He was coming from Oceanus, his host, gladdened by the banquet, and his countenance suffused with the nectar of the deep. Wherefore, the winds and tempests are silent, and with tranquil song proceed the tritons who bear his armor and the rock-like sea-monsters and the Tyrrhenian herds, and gamble around and below him, saluting their king. He towers on high above the peaceful waves, urging on his team with his three-pronged spear. Frontwise they run at furious speed amid showers of foam. Behind, they swim and blot out their footprints with their tails. When Thetis, O sire and ruler of the mighty deep, seest thou to what uses thou hast made a way o'er the hapless ocean? The crimes of the nations pass by with unmolested sails, since the Pegasean bark broke through the sanctions of the waters and profaned their hallowed majesty on Jason's quest of plunder. Lo, freighted with another wicked theft, the spoils of hospitality sails the daring arbiter of unjust Ida, destined to cause what sorrow, alas, to heaven and earth, and what to me? Is it thus we requit the joy of the Phrygian triumph? Is this the way of Venus? Is this her gift to her dear ward? These ships at least, no demigods, nor our own Theseus do they carry home. Overwhelm, if thou still hast any regard for the waters, or give the sea into my power. No cruelty do I purpose. Suffer me to fear for my own son. Grant me to drive away my sorrow, nor let it be thy pleasure that out of all the seas I find a home in but a single coast and the rocks of an Ilian tomb. With torn cheeks she made her prayer, and with bare bosom would fain hinder the cerulean steeds. But the ruler of the seas invites her into his chariot, and soothes her thus with friendly words. Seek not in vain, Thetis, to sink the Dardanian fleet, the fates forbid it. Tis the sure ordinance of heaven that Europe and Asia should join in bloody conflict and Jupiter hath issued his decree of war, in appointed years of dreary carnage. What prowess of thy son in the Sigian dust, what vast funeral trains of Phrygian matrons shalt thou victoriously behold, when thy Iacides shall flood the Trojan fields with streaming blood, and anon forbid the choked rivers to flow, and check his chariot speed with Hector's corpse, and mightily overthrow my walls, my useless toil. Cease now to complain of Peleus and thy inferior wedlock. Thy child shall be deemed begotten of Jove. Nor shalt thou suffer unavenged, but shalt use thy kindred seas. I will grant thee to raise the billows when the Danaeans return, and Capherius shows forth his ninety signals, and we search together for the terrible Ulysses. He spoke, but she, downcast at the stern refusal, for but now she was preparing to stir up the waters and make war upon the alien craft, devised in her mind another plan. 
and sadly turned her strokes towards the Hemonian land. Thrice strove she with her arms, thrice spurned the clear water with her feet, and the Thessalian waves are washing her snow-white ankles. The mountains rejoice, the marriage bowers fling open their recesses, and Sperchius in wide, abundant streams flows to meet the goddess and laps her footsteps with his fresh water. She delights not in the scene, but wearies her mind with schemes essayed, and taught cunning by her devoted love, seeks out the aged Chiron. His lofty home bores deep into the mountain, beneath the long, overarching vault of Pelion. Part had been hollowed out by toil, part worn away by its own age. Yet the images and couches of the gods are shown, and the places that each had sanctified by his reclining and his sacred presence. Within are the centaur's wide and lofty stalls, far different from those of his wicked brethren. Here are no spears that have tasted human blood, nor ashen clubs broken in festal conflict, nor mixing bowls shattered upon kindred foemen, but innocent quivers and mighty hides of beasts. These did he take while yet in the prime of age, but now, a warrior no more, his only toil was to learn herbs that bring health to creatures doubting of their lives, or to describe to his pupil, upon his lyre, the heroes of old time. On the threshold's edge he awaited his return from hunting, and was urging the laying of the feast and brightening his abode with lavish fire, when far off the near-aid was seen climbing upward from the shore. He burst forth from the forests, joy speeds his going, and the well-known hoof-beat of the sage rang on the now unwanted plain. Then, bowing down to his horse's shoulders, he leads her with courtly hand within his humble dwelling, and warns her of the cave. Long time has Thetis been scanning every corner with silent glance. Then, impatient of delay, she cries, Tell me, Chiron, where's my darling? Why spends the boy any time apart from thee? Is it not with reason that my sleep is troubled, and terrible portents from the gods and fearful panics, would they were false, afflict his mother's heart? For now I behold swords that threaten to pierce my womb. Now my arms are bruised with lamentation. Now savage beasts assail my breasts. Often, ah, horror, I seem to take my son down to the void of Tartarus, and dip him a second time in the springs of Styx. The Carpathian seer bids me banish these terrors by the ordinance of a magic rite, and purify the lad in secret waters beyond the bound of heaven's vault, where is the farthest shore of ocean, and Father Pontus is warmed by the ingliding stars. There, awful sacrifices and gifts to gods unknown. It is long to recount all, and I am forbidden. Give him to me, rather. Thus spoke his mother in lying speech, nor would he have given him up, had she dared to confess to the old man the soft raiment and dishonorable garb. Then he replies, Take him, I pray, O best of parents, take him, and assuage the gods with humble entreaty. For thy hopes are pitched too high, and envy needs much appeasing. I add not to thy fears, but will confess the truth, some swift and violent deed. The forebodings of a sire deceive me not, is preparing, far beyond his tender years. Formerly, 
he was wont to endure my anger, and listen eagerly to my commands, nor wander far from my cave. Now Ossa cannot contain him, nor mighty Pelion and all the snows of Thessaly. Even the centaurs often complain to me of plundered homes and herds stolen before their eyes, and that they themselves are driven from field and river. They devise violence and fraud, and utter angry threats. Once, when the Thessalian pine bore hither the princes of Argus, I saw the angle cities and Theseus, but I say no more. Cold pallor seized the daughter of Nereus. Lo, he was come, made larger by much dust and sweat, and yet, for all his weapons and hastened labors, still pleasant to the sight. A radiant glow shimmers on his snow-white countenance, and his locks shine more comely than tawny gold. The bloom of youth is not yet changed by new springing down. A tranquil flame burns in his glance, and there is much of his mother in his look, even as when the hunter Apollo returns from Lycia and exchanges his fierce quiver for the quill. By chance, too, he is in joyful mood. Ha! How joy enhances beauty! Beneath Follow's cliff he had stricken a lioness lately delivered, and had left her in the empty lair but had brought the cubs and was making them show their claws. Yet, when he sees his mother on the well-known threshold, away he throws them, catches her up and binds her in his longing arms, already violent in his embrace and equal to her in height. Patroclus follows him, bound to him even then by a strong affection, and strains to rival all his mighty doings, well matched in the pursuits and ways of youth, but far behind in strength, and yet to pass to Pergamum with equal fate. Straightway, with rapid bound, he hies him to the nearest river, and freshens in its waters his steaming face and hair, just as Castor enters the shallows of Eurotas on his panting steed, and tricks out anew the weary splendors of his star. The old man marvels as he adorns him, caressing now his breast, now his strong shoulders. Her very joy pierces his mother's heart. Then Chiron prays her to taste the banquet and the gifts of Bacchus, and contriving various amusements for her beguiling, at last brings forth the lyre, and moves the care-consoling strings, and trying the cords lightly with his finger, gives them to the boy. Gladly he sings of the mighty causes of noble deeds, how many behests of his haughty stepmother the son of Amphitryon performed, how Pollux with his glove smote down the cruel Bebrics, with what a grip the son of Aegeus enfolded and crushed the limbs of the Minoan bull. Lastly, his own mother's marriage feast and Pelion trodden by the gods. Then Thetis relaxed her anxious countenance and smiled. Night draws them on to slumber. The huge centaur lays him down on a stony couch, and Achilles lovingly twines his arms about his shoulders, though his faithful parent is there, and prefers the wanted breast. But Thetis, standing by night upon the sea-echoing rocks, this way and that divides her purpose, and ponders in what hiding place she will set her son, in what country she shall choose to conceal him. Nearest is Thrace, but steeped in the passionate love of war. Nor does the hardy folk of Macedon please her, nor the sons of Cecrops, sure to excite to noble deeds, nor Cestus and the Bay of Abydus, too opportune for ships. She decides to roam the lofty Cyclades. 
Of these she spurns Mycenaeus and humbles Seriphus, and Lemnus, cruel to its men, and Delos, that gives all the world a welcome. Of late, from the unwarlike palace of Lycomedes, had she heard the sound of maiden bands and the echo of their sport along the shore. What time she was sent to follow Aegean freed from his stubborn bonds and to count the hundred fetters of the god. This land finds favor and seems safest to the timid mother. Even so a bird, already taking anxious thought, as her deliverer draws nigh, on what branch to hang her empty home. Here foresees wind, there bethinks her fearfully of snakes, and there of men. At last, in her doubt, a shady spot finds favor. Scarce has she alighted on the boughs, and straightway loves the tree. One more care abides in her mind and troubles the sad goddess, whether she shall carry her son in her own bosom or the waves, or use great Triton's aid, whether she shall summon the swift winds to help her, or the Thaumantian that is wont to drink the main. Then she calls out from the waves and bridles with a sharp-edged shell her team of dolphins twain, which Tethys, mighty queen, had nourished for her in an echoing vale beneath the sea. None throughout all Neptune's watery realm had such renown for their sea-green beauty, nor greater speed of swimming, nor more of human sense. These she halts in the deep shore water, lest they take harm from the touch of naked earth. Then, in her own arms she carries Achilles, his body utterly relaxed in a boy's slumber, from the rocks of the Haemonian cave, down to the placid waters and the beach that she had bidden be silent. Cynthia lights her way, and shines out with full orb. Chiron escorts the goddess, and careless of the sea, and treats her speedy return, and hides his moistened eyes, and high upon his horse's body gazes out towards them, as suddenly they are whirled away, and now, and now are lost to view, where for a short while the foamy marks of their going gleam white, and the wake dies away into the watery main. Him, destined nevermore to return to Thessalian Tempe, now mournful Folloi bewails, now cloudy Othrys, and Spurcius with diminished flood and the silent grotto of the sage. The fauns listen for his boyish songs in vain, and the nymphs bemoan their long-hoped-for nuptials. Now day overwhelms the stars, and from the low and level main Titan wheels heavenward his dripping steeds, and down from the expanse of air falls the sea that the chariot bore up. But long since had the mother traversed the waves and gained the Syrian shores, and the weary dolphins had been loosed from their mistress's yoke. When the boy's sleep was stirred, and his opening eyes grew conscious of the inpouring day. In amaze at the light that greets him, he asks, where is he? What are these waves? Where is Pelion? All he beholds is different and unknown, and he hesitates to recognize his mother. Quickly she caresses him and soothes his fear. If, dear lad, a kindly lot had brought me the wedlock that it offered, in the fields of heaven should I be holding thee, a glorious star in my embrace, nor a celestial mother should I fear the lowly fates or the destinies of earth. But now unequal is the birth, my son, and only on thy mother's side is the way of death barred for thee. Moreover, times of terror draw nigh, and peril hovers above the utmost goal. Retire we, then, relax awhile thy mighty spirit, 
and scorn not this raiment of mine. If the Tyrinthian took in his rough hand Lydian wool and women's wands, if it becomes Bacchus to trail a gold-embroidered robe behind him, if Jupiter put on a woman's form, and doubtful sex weaken not the mighty Cineas, this way I entreat thee, suffer me to escape the threatening, baleful cloud. Soon will I restore the plains and the fields where the centaurs roam. By this beauty of thine and the coming joys of youth, I pray thee, if for thy sake I endured the earth and an inglorious mate, if at the birth I fortify thee with the stern waters of Styx, high would I had holy, take these safe robes a while. They will in no wise harm thy valor. Why dost thou turn away? What means that glance? Art thou ashamed to soften thee in this garb? Dear lad, I swear it by my kindred waters. Chiron shall know not of this. So doth she work on his rough heart, vainly cajoling. The thought of his sire and his great teacher oppose her prayer and the rude beginnings of his mighty spirit. Even so, should one try to subdue with earliest rain a horse full of the meddlesome fire of ungoverned youth, he, having long delighted in stream and meadow, and his own proud beauty, gives not his neck to the yoke, nor his fierce mouth to the brittle, and snorts with rage at passing beneath a master's sway, and marvels that he learns another gait. What god endued the despairing mother with fraud and cunning? What device drew Achilles from his stubborn purpose? It chanced that Cyrus was keeping festal day in honor of Paulus, guardian of the shore, and that the sisters, offspring of peace-loving Lycomedes, had on this sacred morn gone forth from their native town, a license rarely given, to pay tribute of the spring, and bind their grave tresses with the leaf of the goddess, and scatter flowers upon her spear. All were of rarest beauty, all clad alike, and all in lusty youth, their years of girlish modesty now ended, and maidenhood ripe for the marriage couch. But as far as Venus by comparison doth surpass the green nymphs of the sea, whereas Diana rises taller by head and shoulders than the Naiads, so doth Deidamia, queen of the lovely choir, outshine and dazzle her fair sisters. The bright color flames upon her rosy countenance, a more brilliant light is in her jewels, the gold has a more alluring gleam. As beauteous were the goddess herself, would she but lay aside the serpents on her breast, and doff her helm and pacify her brow. When he beheld her, far in advance of her attendant train, the lad, ungentle as he was, and hard whole from any touch of passion, stood spellbound and drank in strange fire through all his frame. Nor does the love he has imbibed lie hidden, but the flame, pulsating in his inmost being, returns to his face, and colors the glow upon his cheeks, and as he feels, its power runs o'er his body with a light sweat. As when the massagete darken milk-white bowels with blood-red dye, or ivory is stained with purple, so by varying signs of blush and pallor does the sudden fire betray its presence. He would rush forward and unprovoked fiercely break up the ceremonies of his hosts, reckless of the crowd and forgetful of his ears, did not shame restrain him and awe of the mother by his side. 
as when a bullock, soon to be the siren leader of a herd, though his horns have not yet come full circle, perceives a heifer of snowy whiteness, the comrade of his pasture, his spirit takes fire, and he foams at the mouth with his first passion. Glad at heart, the herdsmen watch him and check his fury. Seizing the moment, his mother purposely accosts him. Is it too hard a thing, my son, to make pretense of dancing and join hands in sport among these maidens? Hast thou aught such neath Osa and the crags of Pelion? Oh, if it were my lot to match two loving hearts, and to bear another Achilles in my arms! He is softened, and blushes for joy, and with sly and sidelong glance repels the robes less certainly. His mother sees him in doubt, and willing to be compelled, and casts the raiment o'er him. Then she softens his stalwart neck, and bows his strong shoulders, and relaxes the muscles of his arms, and tames and orders duly his uncombed tresses, and sets her own necklace about the neck she loves. Then, keeping his step within the embroidered skirt, she teaches him gait and motion and modesty of speech. Even as the waxen images that the artist's thumb will make to live take form and follow the fire and the hand that carves them, such was the picture of the goddess as she transformed her son. Nor did she struggle long, for plenteous charm remains to him, though his manhood brook it not, and he baffles beholders by the puzzle of his sex that by a narrow margin hides its secret. They go forward, and Thetis unsparingly piles her counsels and persuasive words. Thus then, my son, must thou manage thy gait, thus thy features and thy hands, and imitate thy comrades and counterfeit their ways, lest the king suspect thee, and admit thee not to the women's chambers, and the crafty cunning of our enterprise be lost. So speaking, she delays not to put correcting touches to his attire. Thus, when Hecate returns wearied to her siren brother from Therapne, haunt of maidens, her mother bears her company as she goes, and with her own hand covers her shoulders and bared arms, herself arranges the bow and quiver, and pulls down the girt-up robe, and is proud to trim the disordered tresses. Straightway she accosts the monarch, and there, in the presence of the altars, Here, O king, she says, I present to thee the sister of my Achilles. Seest thou not how proud her glance and like her brothers? So high her spirit, she begged for arms and a bow to carry on her shoulders, and like an Amazon to spurn the thought of wedlock. But my son is enough care for me. Let her carry the baskets at the sacrifice. Do thou control and tame her willfulness, and keep her to her sex, till the time for marriage come, and the end of her maiden modesty nor suffer her to engage in wanton wrestling matches, nor to frequent the woodland haunts. Bring her up indoors, in seclusion, among girls of her own age. Above all, remember to keep her from the harbor and the shore. Lately thou sawest the Frisian sails. Already ships that have crossed the sea have learned treasure to mutual loyalties. The sire accedes to her words, and receives the disguised Achilles by his mother's ruse. Who can resist when gods deceive? Nay, more, he venerates her with a suppliant's hand, and gives thanks that he was chosen. Nor is the band of duteous Syrian maidens slow to dart keen glances at the face of their new comrade, 
how she o'ertops them by head and neck, how broad her expansive breast and shoulders. Then they invite her to join the dance and approach the holy rites, and make room for her in their ranks, and rejoice to be near her. Just as Idalian birds, cleaving the soft clouds and long since gathered in the sky or in their homes, if a strange bird from some distant region has joined them wing to wing, are at first all filled with amaze and fear. Then, nearer and nearer they fly, and while yet in the air have made him one of them, and hover joyfully around with favoring beat of pinions, and lead him to their lofty resting places. Long ere she departs, lingers the mother at the gate, while she repeats advice and implants whispered secrets in his ear, and in hushed tones gives her last counsels. Then she plunges into the main, and gazing back swims far away, and entreats with flattering prayers the island shore. O land that I love, to whom by timid cunning I have committed the pledge of my anxious care, a trust that is great indeed. Mayst thou prosper and be silent, I beg, as Crete was silent for Rhea, and during honor and everlasting shrines shall gird thee, nor shalt thou be surpassed by unstable Delos. Sacred alike to wind and wave shalt thou be, and clam abode of Nereids among the shallows of the Cyclades, where the rocks are shattered by Aegean storms, an isle that sailors swear by. Only admit no Danaean keels, I beg. Here are only the ones of Bacchus, not that avails for war. That tale bid rumors spread, and while the Dorian armaments make ready and Mavor's rages from world to world, he may, for aught I care, let Achilles be the maiden daughter of good Lycomedes. Meanwhile, avenging Europe, inflamed by war's sweet frenzy, and the monarch's complaining entreaties, excites her righteous ire. More earnestly pleads that son of Atreus, whose spouse abids at home, and by his telling makes the Ilian crime more grievous. How, without aid of Mars or force of arms, the daughter of heaven and child of mighty Sparta was taken, and justice, good faith, and the gods spurned by one deed of rapine? Is this then Phrygian honor? Is this the intercourse of land with land? What awaits the common folk? when wrong so deadly attacks the foremost chieftains. All races, all ages flock together. Nor are they only aroused whom the Isthmian barrier, with its rampart fronting on two seas encloses, and Malleus wave resounding promontory. But where afar the strait of Phrixus sunders Europe and Asia, and the peoples that fringe Abydus' shore, bound fast by the waters of the upper sea. The war fever rises high, thrilling the agitated cities. Tamizi tames her bronze, the Obian coast shakes with its dockyards, Mycenae echoes with innumerable forges, Pisa makes new chariots, Nemea gives the skins of wild beasts, Syra vies in packing tight the arrow-bearing quivers, Lerna in covering heavy shields with the hides of slaughtered bullocks, Etolia and fierce Acarnania send infantry to war, Argus collects her squadrons, the pasture lands of rich Arcadia are emptied, Epirus bridles her swift-footed nurslings. The shades of Phosis and Aeonia grow scant by reason of the javelins. Pylos and Messini strain their fortress engines. No land but bears its burden. Ancestral weapons, long renounced, are torn from lofty portals. Gifts to the gods melt in the flame. 
gold reft from divine-keeping Mars turns to fiercer use. Nowhere are the shady haunts of old. Othrys is lesser grown. Lofty Tegetus sinks low. The shorn hills see the light of day. Now the whole forest is afloat. Oaks are hewn to make a fleet. The woods are diminished for oars. Iron is forced into countless uses. For riveting prowls, for armor of defense, for bridling chargers, for knitting rough coats of mail by a thousand links, to smoke with blood, to drink deep of wounds, to drive death home in conspiracy with poison. They make the dripping whetstones thin with grinding, and add wrath to sluggish sword points. No limit is there to the shaping of bows, or heaping up of bullets, or the charring of stakes, or the heightening of helms with crests. Amid such commotion, Thessaly alone bewails her indolent repose, and brings a twofold complaint against the fates that Peleus is too old, and Achilles not yet ripe of age. Already the lord of war had drained the land of Pelops and the Grecian world, madly flinging aboard both men and horses. All a swarm are the harbors, and the bays invisible for shipping, and the moving fleet stirs its own storms and billows. The sea itself fails the vessels, and their canvas swallows up every breath of wind. Aulis, sacred to Hecate, first gathers together the Danaean fleet. Aulis, whose exposed cliff and long projecting ridge climb the Euboean Sea, coast beloved by the mountain-wandering goddess, and Caphereus, that raises his head hard by against the barking waves. He, when he beheld the Pelasgian ship sail by, thrice thundered from peak to wave, and gave presage of a night of fury. There assembles the armament for Troy's undoing. There the vast array is sworn, while the sun completes an annual course. Then first did Greece behold her own might. Then a scattered, dissonant mass took form and feature, and was marshaled under one single lord. Even so does the round hunting net confine the hidden beasts, and gradually hem them in as the toils are drawn close. They, in panic of the torches and the shouting, leave their wide pathless haunts, and marvel that their own mountain is shrinking, till, from every side, they pour into the narrow vale. The herds startle each other, and are tamed by mutual fear. Bristly boar and bear and wolf are driven together, and the hind despises the captured lions. But although the twain a treaty make war in their own cause together, those Thelenus and Tydeus' sons surpass in eager valor their father's fame, and Antilochus heeds not his years, and Ajax shakes upon his arm the seven leaders of the herd, and a circle vast as a city wall, though Ulysses, sleepless in counsel and deeds of arms, joins in the quarrel, yet all the host yearns ardently for the absent Achilles, Lovingly, they dwell upon Achilles's name. Achilles alone is called for against Hector. Him and none other do they speak of as the doom of Priam and of Troy. For who else grew up from infancy crawling on fresh duck snow in the Hemonian valleys? Whom else did the centaur take in hand and shape his rude beginnings and tender years? Whose line of ancestry runs nearer heaven? Whom else did the Nere take by stealth through the Stygian waters, and make his fair limbs impenetrable to steel? Such talk do the Grecian cohorts repeat an interchange. The band of chieftains yields before him, and gladly owns the feat. 
so when the pale denizens of heaven flocked into the Phlegrian camp, and already Gridivus was towering to the height of his Odrysian spear, and Tritonia raised her Libyan snakes, and the Dilian strongly bent his mighty bow, nature, in breathless terror, stood looking to the thunderer alone. When would he summon the lightnings and the tempests from the clouds? How many thunderbolts would he ask of fiery Etna? There, while the princes, surrounded by the mingled multitudes of their folk, hold counsel of times for sailing and for war, Protesilaus, amid great tumult, rebukes the prophet Calchas, and cries, for to him was given the keenest desire to fight, and the glory even then of suffering death the first. O son of Thestor, forgetful of Phoebus and thy own tripods, when wilt thou open thy god-possessed lips more surely? Or why dost thou hide the secret things of fate? Seest thou how all are amazed at the unknown Eacides and clamor for him? The Caledonian hero seems not in the people's eyes, and so too Ajax, born of mighty Telamon, and lesser Ajax, so do we also, but Mars and the capture of Troy will prove the truth. Slying their leaders, for shame, they all love him as a deity of war. Quickly speak, or why are thy locks unreathed and held in honor? In what coasts lies he hidden? In what land must we seek him? For report has it that he is living neither in Chiron's cave nor in the halls of Peleus his sire. Come, break in upon the gods. Harry the fates that lie concealed. Quaff greedily, if ever thou doest, thy draughts of laureled fire. We have relieved thee of dread arms and cruel swords, and never shall a helm profane thy unwarlike locks. Yet blessed shalt thou be, and foremost of our chiefs, if of thyself thou dost find great Achilles for the Danaeans. Long since has the son of Thestor been glancing round about him, with excited movements, and by his first pallor betray the incoming of the god. Soon he rolls fiery, bloodshot eyes, seeing neither his comrades nor the camp, but blind and absent from the scene, he now overhears the mighty counsels of gods in the upper air, now accosts the prescient birds, now the stern sister's threads, now anxiously consults the incense-laden altars, and quickly scans the shooting flames and feeds upon the sacred vapors. His hair streams out, and the fillet totters on his stiffened locks. His head rolls, and he staggers in his gait. At last, trembling, he loses his weary lips from their long bellowings, and his voice has struggled free from the resisting frenzy. Whither bearest thou, O Nereid, by thy woman's guile, great Chiron's mighty pupil? Send him hither, why dost thou carry him away? I will not suffer it. Mine is he, mine. Thou art a goddess of the deep, but I too am inspired by Phoebus. In what hiding places triest thou to conceal the destroyer of Asia? I see her, all bewildered among the Cyclades, in base stealth, seeking out the coast. We are ruined. The accomplice land of Lycomedes finds favor. Ah, horrid deed! See! Flowing garments drape his breast. Rend them, boy, rend them, and yield not to thy timid mother. Woe, woe, he is wrapped away and is gone. Who is that wicked maiden yonder? Here, tottering, he ceased. The madness lost its force, and with a shudder he collapsed and fell before the altar. Then, 
the Caledonian hero accosts the hesitating Ithacan. Tis us that task summons, for I could not refuse to bear thee company, should I thought so leave thee. Though he be sunk in the echoing caves of Tethys far removed, and in the bosom of water in Nereus, thou wilt find him. Do thou but keep alert the cunning and foresight of thy watchful mind, and arouse thy fertile craft. No prophet, methinks, would make bold in perplexity to see the truth before thee. Ulysses in joy makes answer. So may Almighty God bring it to pass, and the virgin guardian of thy sire grant to thee. But fickle hope gives me pause. A great enterprise is it, indeed, to bring Achilles and his arms to our camp. But should the fate say nay, how woeful a disgrace were it to return. Yet will I not leave and venture the fulfillment of the Danaean's desire. Ay, verily, either the Pelian hero shall accompany me hither, or the truth lies deep indeed, and Calchas hath not spoken by Apollo. The Danaei shout applause, and Agamemnon urges on the willing pair. The gathering breaks up, and the dispersing ranks depart with joyful murmurs, even as at nightfall the birds wing their way homeward from the pastures, or kindly Hybla sees the swarms returning laden with fresh honey to their cells. Without delay, the canvas of the Ithacan is already calling for a favoring breeze, and the merry crew are seated at their oars. End of section 1